Welcome to Libraryland Conversations. I'm Greg Pepocati, the Executive Director of the Libraryland Project, and I'm excited to be recording a new episode with one of our favorite librarians. Uh, these episodes are opportunities for Adam and I to, uh, to talk to people in the library community uh, that we haven't had a chance to, to get together with in some time, and uh, we hope you'll enjoy it. Well, all right. So I'm Adam Zand, and I'll just add one thing. We like talking to retired library <laughs> directors as well. Uh, I am president of the Libraryland Project and really sharing our love of libraries, hearing stories about career paths, trends in library world, and how folks are uh, coping during this difficult pandemic, and some of the personal memories that are kind of extra special and another reason that we like doing these conversations. Uh, so today we're we're super excited to be welcoming Jennifer Harris, uh, the recently retired uh, director of the Plymouth Public Library. Uh, we first visited, ah, boy, it was in early 2019. Um, it was the first time, Jennifer, that we'd actually reached out to a library ahead of time and asked the director if we could sit down and talk. And you were super generous with your time. Um, you suggested that we come down to Kingston for a legislative day. And that led us to going to library legislative day on Beacon Hill. And it really was really formative in terms of uh, the way Adam and I have gotten to think about and in advance our work for the library land project. So, so we promise we're gonna let Jennifer talk on this episode, <laughs> uh, but, but I just wanna bring this full circle. So back in October, Jennifer left a comment on our post about the Tufts Library in Weymouth. And she invited us back to Plymouth and said they were meeting some challenges. They had faced a lot of challenges, but she also wanted to share some news with us. She was retiring after 33 years of yes. working and being director in libraries. And we talked, we toured the library, we did it all in safety of masks and social distancing. And eventually we started questioning Jennifer, if you really were retiring and we'll, we'll get to some of those activities. Uh, so today, let's jump into it. We're going to talk about a little bit of your career path, uh, the library during the pandemic, and, um, you know, what, what Jennifer wants to do moving forward with libraries um, as, as a patron when safe to do so. So with the longest intro ever, oh over God. to Jennifer Harris. <laughs> what? Hello. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, can you just tell us, maybe start with a little bit about your, yourself and your background and how you got into librarianship, uh, but also you know, what you're gonna be doing in your post-library world, uh, maybe particularly in the political sphere. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for interviewing me. Um, I have been enjoying my recent retirement since January extensively, but very busy. Um, I started, I, I'm from the east side of Cleveland and there was something in me that always loved libraries. Um, my father took me to the local library for story time. And uh, as the years went on, I worked at the high school library. I worked at a bookstore when I was at Kent State University. They had a bachelor program at the time. So this was the early 1970s. And all I wanted to do was be a librarian. And they, 
they said that that was not a good idea because there were too many librarians. So I, I didn't understand how that was affecting my future. So I listened to them. And in the end, when I um, graduated, I had a double major, but I didn't have the focus that I would have had if I had gone to li library school at that point. So in the meanwhile, I, went, uh, I hit the road and, and went west and I went to Colorado and um, had about 10 years there living in the mountains, some mountain cabin life, um, some regular, and then it was time to come back. And I ended up in Boston um, through a relationship. My uh, ex-husband was from Boston. So we ended up here and it turns out that Simmons University, which was Simmons College at the time, is the best library school in the area. And I took all these tests, career tests, and it kept saying that I like to alphabetize things <laughs> or, or actually organize things. Um, so I just bit the bullet and I went to Somerville Public Library. I made an appointment with the director there, Paul DeAngelis, who I adore, and he adored me. And he hired me on the spot. And so I started to work there and I was going to Simmons. And uh, that's how I really began was at the Somerville Public Library. So picture Somerville after uh, 10,000 feet altitude in the Colorado Rockies. So. And, and especially Somerville in the 70s, a, a different, a different uh, neighborhood than it is today. Well, in, that, in... by then it was the 80s. We were talking about okay. when the Celtics were, were winning all the time. So mid 80s is when we came. So yeah. So yeah. so I, I love the uh, I love that early part of your career path. Like, can you take us a little bit forward to Plymouth and like steps in between if there were any? Sure. So so I worked full time at Somerville and um, was working on my master's degree part time. First of all, I had to learn how to drive in Boston. You know, being from the Midwest, we actually number streets and we go north and south and east and west. And then, uh, so I learned how to drive and we didn't have ways, we didn't have the internet. And by the time I got my master's degree, I went to uh, Paul and I said, look, I really wanna be an assistant library director. I wanted to, you know, I, I had trained through supervision, public libraries and management was my focus through Simmons. And I let him know and I started my search in assist, as an assistant director. And I ended up, oh, I know, we, we needed to move to the South shore because, um, my husband at the time's business was in Quincy and they were starting the central artery. You know, they were the, the big dig. So we wanted to be on the South shore. So I interviewed with many different libraries. And as I kept going, they, um, a couple different ones, actually Milton was very old library and I didn't run an old library. And they said, well, you know, uh, Plymouth library is a brand new library and they're looking for a circulation supervisor. And I went, well, I really didn't want to be, um, I wanted the assistant director. That was my goal. So I said, fine. So I called them. And as soon as they heard that was my experience, they set up an interview. So picture again, Somerville, no internet. This was 1993. So it wasn't like you Googled and you looked and saw pictures or you uh, went on to Waze and got your driving. So I had no idea what I was coming to in Plymouth and I'm not from around here. I drive down to Plymouth. I pull in the parking lot in front of this gorgeous, huge library. Yeah. But the fact that there was a parking lot in Somerville, there were no parking lots for the libraries. And so I fell in love and I wanted that more than I can tell you. I wanted that job. And, and I was offered the position and started in August of 1993. 
So I've been, I was, in, and it's now going on uh, 30 years. So I was there all of but two years of the library. You know, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I, I find it so inspiring to hear other librarians talk about their path and, and their passion and how they got to where they are. Um, you obviously were, were running the library during a time of some pretty unprecedented pressure on public libraries, uh, mm -hmm. particularly in the face of the pandemic. And I, I'm really kind of curious to hear how, how that, how you kind of managed coming into the pandemic, how you managed to, to reopen and offer services and, and, and what you took away from that experience. Well, first of all, I would like to be clear that I was the assistant director for 22 and a half years there. Mm -hmm. I became the director in January of 2016. And at that point, I took on three renovation projects that were completed. And we were in the process of finishing the largest renovation, which, is, which was a $3.2 million project, including the air handling units, which is significant during the pandemic because it gave us quality air. If we had not done the repairs and, and completed that, I wouldn't have been able to bring the staff back when the time came. So we're finishing that project and um, you know the pandemic was hitting and we were looking for guidance, uh, figuring out what the different libraries were doing. So the truth of the matter is as January and February and March of 2020 came along, everyone was looking around for guidance. And the wow. rulings that we heard was go through your public health department. And they themselves were floundering. I, I'm not sure if you've been watching any of the stuff on CNN with, this, with the doctors and the stories, but no one knew. And so watching that re reminded me of what we were going through. So basically whatever the town manager said and the public health director said, and we got to, what was it? March 18th was when we had to close the library. So, uh, you know, to the, to the public and send the staff home and uh, went into um, furlough. So I'm the last person who leaves the library in the parking lot. I'm driving away to my beautiful library being closed to the public. And I was horrified. For who knows how long. I feel the emotion right now saying that. Not knowing what would happen, but I knew I had fish in my aquarium. So I was not gonna quarantine. I did not stay home. I, there was one other person and I we went every day, uh, normal, normal work uh, structure. So every day I was at the main library, even though our two branches were closed. And then we were working with the public remotely. So that was how we continued. And obviously things like Overdrive and our audiobooks, you know, downloadable, all the downloadable and databases were heavily in demand, but people still needed contact and, and no one really knew when we would come back, none of us guessed this. When we first closed, I thought it was June. You know, we'd be back in June. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. So you please, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please ask yeah. a new one. No, <laughs> totally. So, so I have a couple of questions coming up and, and they are re again related to the pandemic. Um, do you see opportunities? You know, you've had a little bit of distance now since, since mm. retirement in January. Do you, do you see a little bit of yeah. Um, are there opportunities basically for libraries coming out of the pandemic? Do you see some positives, I guess, is a horrible way of asking that. Well, um, I've always been a strong programmer and believing in, well, cultural programming, uh, adult programming, children's programming, seniors and teens. All, all of those age levels have a different draw, different need, but can be multi, um, you know, intergenerational as well as inter 
interests. So, so this whole opportunity to do uh, online programming, Zoom programming, uh, ended up being delightful. We had many opportunities with authors. We figured out a way to, to work together with bookstores and the bookstore would sell the books and they could, the people could come and get a signed copy through the author and then, and then have an author program online. So I think that's going to continue. That combination, um, music didn't do as well in terms of, I did try using our piano in our phalo room. I had two of my favorite, uh, one is a jazz pianist, Stephen Page came, and then Sergei Nabokov, a Russian classical jazz. And I have a gorgeous piano, but I don't have the setup that you need. Um, so, so those were kind of funky. So, but I did have another group, uh, a chamber music came in, group came in and they recorded an entire fantastic classical program called uh, Music from the Bubble. We ended up using YouTube. Um, you know, we were paying for all this and they were able to post and then it became their collection. So there are ways to bring music through libraries um, you know, uh, through Zoom. Um, so I'm, I'm a Zoom addict in a way. And in fact, I bought my own account so that whenever I feel moved in my current uh, retirement, if I want to run a book club, if I want whatever I want to do, I now have access and I'm not limited to that. I have to do it through another organization. You know, you, you talked about online programming and Zoom. And I know one of the things that we've spoken about in the past was uh, you know, are people going to get back in the habit of actually going to public libraries? And, mm -hmm. You know, um, and you, you had some concerns that maybe people had fallen out of that and gotten so used to curbside and digital. Um, right. Is that, do you see that as a, as a challenge? Well, I will tell you what my strongest feeling is libraries need to get open as safely as they can. The, the, the fact that there are some, and everyone's at a different rate and there are reasons behind that. Each town has their way of opening safely. But I would tell any community that get your public library open because it's not only the books. You know, people really are reading and they need to read. They need, still need access to free material, but they need people and they need the librarians. Our librarians in each one of our libraries are unique and special for each collection. And the, it's basically their home away from home. So the public, the community who love to interact and need that contact, which we all do, yeah. um, they need their librarians. So, so that's my, my message is get your libraries open, even if it's limited and, and keep feeling safe and don't do the big programs inside, you know. Fortunately for Plymouth, we have gorgeous uh, front lawn, we have a back lawn, all sorts of programming during this. We have a parking lot. We used to always do programming in the parking lot. <laughs> Clearly, I like parking lots, <laughs> libraries. Um, so, so you had first you had asked about pro, uh, what I saw as a trend. So programming is a huge opportunity for libraries. The other opportunity is outreach into the community. Through the CARES Act and the American Relief, uh, libraries are getting, will be getting more money technology wise. So a lot of them are buying Chromebooks and hotspots and, uh, you know, they could arm a vehicle and go out into a neighborhood and be able to offer services and interaction that way. So it does not have to be in the building, but you still need your library 
to be functioning for the staff and the materials and whatever else they want to do. So I see yeah. more activity outside. I, I we, we love that too. And we, we've been thinking about that, especially since it's finally getting warm again, occasionally on in, in New England. Yeah. So I, I had a follow up to that. When Greg and I came down to Plymouth, can, can you talk about a little bit of the procedures you put in place? And, and maybe there's even like a simple checklist that uh, libraries across the country should be thinking about as they open up. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you, you know, you took temperature at the door, you had appointments online. Like, can you talk us through a couple of those, you know, things that worked for you and that yes. might work for others? Well, I, I think that time has passed. If you want to know the truth, as long as everyone is, uh, I think what's changed, the game changer was the vaccinations, which is what we were all waiting for. So at the time, and I feel I'm very proud of how I got, I just kept the vision of getting the libraries open as safely as possible for the staff and for the community. So we did, we had a thermal contact. So the patron would walk up, it would take their temperature and say whether it was okay or not. Uh, then they'd come in and they would have appointments. We were running the appointments for about 40 minutes, uh, 40 to 50 minutes, but we were allowing patrons to go in the library upstairs to see fiction, in the main reference room, we were giving appointments for computer use because people who had lost their jobs or who were working from home did not necessarily have the computer and internet access and printing that they needed. The children's room was more limited because um, you know, having families in it at times. So since then, since that time, my, my understanding is things have changed. They've opened it up so that you don't need to make an appointment they're still watching the number of people and I believe that will continue. You know, a certain percentage, uh, we, we were up to about, uh, we were at 25% of capacity at the time that I'm left. I, I'm not sure where they're at at this point. And basically the staff really ran uh, for, for how they felt safe. So they would clean the tables afterward. You know, if a patron touched a table, that's where, the, so they knew their areas. And that was a lot of it was teamwork. They were all working in different departments so they could all help out at any time because any library throughout the Commonwealth, people were losing staff and people lost, um, you know, library, a lot of library directors retired, a lot of people retired. Yeah. They were on the edge anyhow. And this was like, they, they didn't know how long it would be before you could do programming or be comfortable. So, so there's a new wave and um, I think it's safer. People are now, hiring, um, they're opening up. So I'm hoping that the, the people who are looking for jobs are looking and, and getting new, new employment. I think that's, that's happening now and it should, it needs to. Yeah. Um, switching gears a little bit. I mean, you spent five years as the co-chair for the Mass Library Association's Legislative Council. Can you talk about, about that work and its, its importance for the, the library community here in Massachusetts? Okay, thank you. Uh, so I'm continuing as the co-chair. It's the oh. uh, MLA Legislative Committee. And the work that we do is advocating for libraries through our legislators. And that's across the Commonwealth and what, what librarians and the public and trustees and friends of libraries, uh, our goal is to make people comfortable and also educate them that they need to call their local um, you know, they're local, whether they have town council, town manager, select board, town meeting members, then, then your state reps and your state senators. 
and call them and remind them how important libraries are. And right now with COVID and the return to libraries, for the community to feel safe, to come out of their homes and actually know that there is a safe place to go. It's not a grocery store where people are touching things or too many people are there or money's being handled. Um, but the beauty and the education and the calm that a library gives when you walk in and you see the books and you see tables where you can sit safely. So it's a space, it's a concept. And um, that's what we need our legislators to know to support budgeting. So right now, you next week is the big, our big push for our library legislative activities. Again, we're doing it virtually. And uh, right now we have over 300 people uh, registered to do these online visits with our legislators and senators. And I have to tell you too, because you know me so well, there's something about the reaching out and talking to legislators excites me about uh, being able to talk about libraries is easy. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to teach other people that it's, it's easy to do it when you're talking about something you're passionate about. I think in a lot of ways, you, you really led us in, in a little bit of that path. Uh, you know, we talked about in the intro that you sort of guided us, whether it was in Kingston or going to that event at the State House. And I think you know this, that, that, that when we went to the State House was the day we launched our website and we had business cards and we just felt like it was more official um, and that we were starting to understand the ecosystem around supporting libraries. That was just so valuable for us. When, when you think back on, on MLA, and I'm so glad you're, that's one of the things you're not retiring from. Correct. Um, how, yeah. how, you know, like I said, you guided us, like how important is, is mentorship in the MLA or just in librarianship in general? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I am a firm believer mm -hmm. in mentoring as well as succession planning. So it happened a little funny at Plymouth because of the time frame. You know, my assistant director, had, uh, had a, um, a move up and became the director of another library. So that opened up the assistant director. So that started a whole new career for her. And I have stayed uh, friends or in contact with many uh, younger librarians over the years that I either hired, worked with, or knew through other activities and have always made myself available. And, um, and I love it. They call me up. I've just helped at least three different people. And do you know how easy it is to just give someone a boost and say, you're doing the right thing. Get out there, don't be afraid. These are some of the things to talk about because I had a lot of experience hiring people. So, um, so I feel my mentorship is going on. I'm also trying, I keep bringing in new people to the legislative committee and I'm trying to groom for the next co-chair. I'm currently co-chairing with Will Adamzak and he and I have a great balance, but I also know, I'm the only one who knows how to book the room at the state house. So I need to teach someone that. We expect to be back in 2022. We're expecting to have a live meeting again. And we always um, had at least 300 people attend. Yeah. I will say the Zoom meetings for people in the farther parts of the Commonwealth, uh, being able to attend remotely has increased uh, interaction involvement. So, so there will always be that element too. Yeah. Uh -huh. That, that's very that's very helpful. I mean, mentorship is is really critical. Um, as you know, I'm I'm actually more than halfway through my my, my MLIS at University of Alabama. I, I should be graduating in, in December, and uh, I, I'm curious, you know, how you see the role of, of education for the next generation of libraries. 
Uh, okay, great. I think I think a lot of the trend of in in schools is going to be what is it, DEI uh, diversity. Is it equality and um, inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. DEI. Yeah, I know. We don't want to do it the other way. So I think not only do librarians, library directors need access to a diverse population of librarians, um, the schools obviously need to produce that. So, so I would say, you know, there's, there's a cost benefit to um, getting your MLS. And the only way I became a director was because I, because I went and got my, M, at the time it was ML, MLIS, yes. So that's, I would encourage anyone who thinks that that's the career that they want, as well as remember that there's three avenues to go. Um, there's public libraries, academic, and special libraries. And I learned that early on at Simmons. Yeah. So you find whatever your creative abilities are and what your interest is, is, and I know people have always said there's the, what is the quote that find something that you love and then you never work a day. I am I am a true case of that as far as having uh, my career in librarianship. So, yep, I think that we need our schools and I think Simmons is still the place. I know there's many, many online schools and that has broadened the opportunity for people. Yeah, well, yeah. Certainly for me at Alabama, it was uh, without the, online, it wouldn't be possible. It's the cost, right? The cost or the access. It's the access. And, you know, the, the other thing that uh, appealed to me uh, in talking to the, the, the faculty there was the, the school's focus on social justice. And you know, that was, to yes. me, that's a, a very important part of librarianship as, as I wish to practice it. So yes, um, that, that kind of access, the cost and the focus were all things that really um, mattered a lot to me. You know, just by saying that about social justice, I just want to throw back to an earlier question about what libraries can do as they open up. It's the connection with organizations through the individual communities. Plymouth has a strong no place for hate committee. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of social justice programs. So it's, it's like the library director or any staff who make connections with people within their community that they can then do this work, which is just opening the doors to the conversation yeah. and that the and that the public knows that it's available for them at their libraries. That's essent that is going to be essential. Social justice, obviously. I just ran a book club for the League of Women Voters um, and I'm hoping to do another one. This one was called Cast uh, by Isabel Wilkerson. And yeah. we spent three, three sessions three uh, with two different sections. So that's six book clubs talking about this important issue. And I believe the next time, you know, maybe we'll be doing climate crisis. So how perfect is that? And that's through using books. So I'm very excited about that. I think that's outstanding. Uh, this is zipped along. We've got a few minutes though. And towards the end of these conversations, we always ask about library memories or some special connection you have. So you mentioned Cleveland. You don't necessarily have to give us a Cleveland memory, but is there a, a, a favorite library memory, you know, from your youth or kind of earlier years enjoying this, the spaces? Well, um, the first library that I worked at was the Cleveland, it was the University Heights, Cleveland Heights on Lee Road Library. And I had a library director there who, okay, so this was in the, in the early 70s, like 1971. She was the coolest librarian ever. 
She wore um, those boots, you know, and short skirts and did not, and the bubble hairdo. I mean, she did not look like your typical librarian. And she was inspirational that way. She, in the end, uh, rose very high in the, in the Ohio library world. And she was very kind to me. But I think that was part of my, um, my goal, was seeing the, a whole world inside of the library. Um, that didn't have to be the stuffy old library. But I will tell you that um, the first, one of the first memories I have, again, my father took me to the library and I wanted to read the book um, called Lad, a Dog. And so I must have, I don't even know how old I was, um, but the book was very thick and the children's librarian said, no, you can't read that. It's too, too advanced for you. But I went ahead and checked it out anyhow and read it because it was like a Lassie dog. Remember Lassie was, so that, those are some of the, you know, some, some of the memories. Um, any, uh, any more recent ones? Now that, now that you're retired and you have time to be footloose and fancy free, are you having a chance to visit any others? Well, actually, that's a great question. It's, you know, like a busman's holiday. So, so my whole approach to retiring was now I'm really, it hit me. I'm going to be a patron. So I wanted to go someplace different where it wasn't a home to me. And I started out at Weymouth. We'll see where else I go, but that's a brand new, gorgeous library. Beautiful. So, so basically I made myself go back in time and walk in the library as if, um, as if I was just learning a new library and getting to enjoy the feeling of that. Um, so that, yes, that is my plan to visit other libraries. I, I think that's a, a really positive way to finish. We're thinking the same thing. We love going to Tufts, but we, we you know, we're thinking about a West Coast trip. We're thinking about Central Mass. Um, there's, there's lots of libraries out there for all of us to enjoy. Thanks so much, Jennifer, as always. Like we learned from you, you know, in some ways we're inspired. And, and now we're even thinking about retirement because of you. Because <laughs> you're, awesome. yeah, you're, you're awesome. not retired. Like this it's, is like such a euphemism that you're retired. I know. It's oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> thank you very much. Echoing Adam, thank you so much. And, and thanks for everybody else out there watching, uh, whether this is uh, YouTube or on our, our website, please leave comments. And obviously, if you have uh, some voices you'd like to hear from, we're always open to suggestions. You can do that by emailing us, info at librarylandproject.org. And uh, we look forward to the next one of these. These conversations have been so much fun. And thanks for watching. Stop on my